The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and welcome to Sports Talk New York. Today is Sunday, September 18th, 2020, and I am your host, Tony Stabile. We have an unbelievable, great hour of New York sports coming up. It is a great day if you are a New York sports fan. Every team won today, which in September is not a given anymore, uh, or hasn't been for some time for that matter. The Jets, the Giants, the Mets, the Yankees, everybody wins unbelievable jet game the giants come out 2 and 0 the mets they take uh, i think they sweep they sweep the pirates now they're only two games from clinching a playoff spot which we all kind of knew from what june july that this was going to happen the yankees come back they have a big game they win aaron judge unbelievable season this guy is having another two home runs today 59 for the season just two behind the american league record which was held by of course roger maris so Unreal day. Just a great day in New York sports. Uh, we do have a great show for you tonight. We have, uh, we're gonna have Matt O'Leary on from, uh, the Just Jets podcast. Guys a great job covering the Jets. Uh, we're gonna talk to him in just a moment about the unbelievable comeback, the two touchdowns, the onside kick, everything to happen about the Jets today. And then, uh, 9.30, we are gonna talk Mets baseball with AM New York's Mets beat writer Joe Pantorno. Uh, we got a lot to talk about there, so uh, I think we have Matt on the line, and I think we're going to talk right right off the bat about some Jets. So uh, we're going to talk to the Just Jets podcast host, uh, Matt O'Leary. Matt, how are you, my friend? Thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely, bro. I, I, re- I really appreciate it. Um, let's get right into it, though, bro. I mean, le- last week we see... Everybody's saying same old Jets. You know, we, we saw in training camp, we watched the draft this year, we knew how much talent that there is around this team. You know, no Kyle Wilson to start off the season, you know, through the first couple of weeks. Everyone's concerned about Joe Flacco. You got, you know, some teams, some fans who don't even want Flacco in the lineup, they wanted Mike White. Uh, they have a tough game against Baltimore. You hear Salah's co- uh, comments at his press conference on Monday about taking receipts for people who are mocking the Jets. And then you come into Cleveland today, and, bro, what a, what a game. What a day. I mean, look, it's not a perfect day. It's not a perfect game, but what, what an unbelievable game for the Jets today uh, with an unbelievable finish. Tell me about your thoughts coming into this week and then what you expected to see in Cleveland today. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously seeing what the Jets did in week one, I wasn't too thrilled with the offensive performance. They had just three points through the first 59 minutes in the, in the first game before scoring in garbage time against the Ravens. Uh, so I, I wasn't too confident going into this game. Uh, obviously the Browns without... Deshaun Watson that you would think, okay, winnable game for this team that you would think, but I was really soured by the Jets' offensive performance in week one. They completely proved me wrong, and Joe Flacco played a relatively good game today. I threw for over 300 yards, had a bunch of passing touchdowns. 
I believe it was four passing touchdowns, and uh, it, it was it was a very good day for him. Uh, offense was in gear. They cleared 30 points. Anytime that happens, that's a great thing, and uh, a great comeback in the final two minutes. I think that's all you could really ask for as a fan. They were in the game all the way. Uh, they were competitive the entire way. So all around much improved from what we saw in week one, that's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it wasn't looking too good early on. You had the, you know, the Flacco fumble. Uh, Miles Garrett basically came in, uh, completely unguarded and, and ran right over Flacco. Um, you had to be concerned, especially early on in this game. Like, are we going to see this again? What we saw last week was it going to be? A, I mean, I, I'll I'll say I in the middle of the first quarter, I th- thought about Mike White for a few minutes, and and then Flacco comes out, and you know he starts to utilize some of these weapons that the Jets have. And you saw Brees Hall today. You saw uh, an unbelievable second game for Garrett Wilson. And I mean, man, you know, like you, you can't not be excited about the offensive performance that you saw, which was as if you were watching two completely different teams from last week to this week. Well, yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, in week one, Gary Wilson had four catches and just over 50 yards and didn't play a lot. But when he did play, made some nice plays. And I think everyone all week long was calling for, like, hey, you got to get this guy the ball. He, he looks the part, you know, in a, in a small sample size in week one. And then they really featured him in the offense this week. Uh, I think Mike LaFleur realized uh his mistake a little bit from uh, the first game of the year, and man, did he show up on a big stage playing in Ohio where he went to school. Uh, that was really cool. And two touchdowns, the game winner. Again, can't ask for too much better, and that's what you want to see from your 10th overall pick. I, I thought he was tremendous today. Absolutely. And uh, another thing about it is that I feel like the more attention they had to start to pay to Garrett Wilson, and then it allows Corey Davis uh, right after, pretty much right after the, the Cleveland scores and puts the what we thought was the final nail in the coffin at thirty to to seventeen, and it was a, a just sixty yard, and there was nobody within ten yards of Corey Davis on this play, and he basically walked into the end zone from the twenty yard line. It was it was an unbelievable pass. You know, could we see more of that from Corey Davis now that maybe he's not the number one and now he's kind of that number two target out there now. Yeah, absolutely. I think what makes or what could potentially make this Jets offense so uh, dangerous is how many weapons they do have. They could beat you so many different ways. And we were talking about Garrett Wilson. You know, you have Elijah Moore, who really looked good as a rookie and maybe wasn't as, you know, featured in the offense this week as, you know, maybe some expected. But it it opens things up for other guys because now you have, you know, so many different receivers and a couple of tight ends to, to worry about where, Last year, especially when Elijah Moore was banged up, it was pretty much only Corey Davis. And then when that was the case, they shut him down, and, and that was that. The Jets offense struggled. But with the variety of weapons that they do have, I, I think that's going to make a really big difference for this team. I agree. I absolutely agree. And, the, you know, as, as excited as I was about Soros Gardner and about Garrett Wilson and about uh, Jermaine Johnson, I was ecstatic about Brees Hall. I really was. When I saw that them they, them trade up to get him in the second round, I'm like, this is such a great pick for them because he he can do so much. You know, he runs the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Like he's such a smart runner. And we saw that today. I mean, we saw that when he was running. We saw him, you know, catch a, a touchdown pass from Flacco. Uh, talk a little bit about what you saw from Brees Hall and how you you know you feel his performance today could be a, a stepping stone for him moving forward. Yeah, I definitely look at this as a step in the right direction for him. Obviously, in week one, 
he had the fumble, and it just didn't look like himself from what we saw in college and throughout training camp and stuff like that. I, I think this is an extremely talented runner, and uh, he was almost like second-guessing himself with uh, hitting the lane and, and getting you know, headed in the right direction. But I thought he was much more decisive as a runner today. We saw him utilized as a pass catcher, too, and I think that's why he went so early and was the first running back off the board is because he has that ability to catch the ball in the backfield, which is so important in today's NFL, and provides a pretty nice safety blanket for, you know, your quarterback, whether it's Joe Flacco or Zach Wilson when he comes back. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think he's – him and Michael Carter, too, you have to give credit to. The one-two punch, the, the young one-two punch, I think is going to be really big for this team this year. But uh, he, he looked drastically different in week two than he did in week one, and that's a, a very positive sign for this team, especially because, in theory, they're a team that's going to want to run the football a lot. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, so let's 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 flip the ball over to the uh, to the defensive side and um, uh, tell me about what your th- well tell me your thoughts on what seems to be in my at least in my opinion a, a lack of a pass rush still. I mean, it's not as if you don't have the personnel out there now. Uh, I know John Franklin Myers is still you know um, not himself. Uh, Carl Rawson is still trying to you know find his way a little bit. Um, and Quinn Williams, uh, I believe he got hurt at some point during the game today. Uh, but we still only saw one sack out of the team. I think they only had one sack last week. Uh, are you concerned about this or is this something that you feel that they're just, you know, this is going to, going to need a little bit more time? Uh, it's a little concerning because as you mentioned, they have their full personnel now. Carl Lawson got a sack today, which is really good to see. Obviously him coming back missed all of last year. I think he's going to be a big factor, but. Um, I would like to see them get more pressure consistently. They don't really te- seem to do that. And, you know, defense really struggled as a whole this week. They, they let up over, you know, they let up over 30 points, which is no good. Uh, in the second half, Nick Chubb was tearing them apart. And this defense is really built on the defensive line. Yes, they, they used the fourth overall pick on Sauce Gardner. Uh, and they brought in DJ Reed. So it's easy to think, okay, you know, they brought in two corners. They're really trying to revamp that secondary. And while that's true, this defense is at its best when they are getting pressure and getting pressure with their four guys, which is why, you know, they have this heavy rotation on the defensive line. Uh, it's, it should be this defense's calling card through two games. It really hasn't yet. Um, and I'd like to see that improve. No question, and uh, you know, last week they had tremendous, um, they had tremendous, tremendous success against the run. This week, not so much. Um, did you notice anything different, or something that you maybe like to see the coaching staff staff address in practice this week, heading into next week? I just thought it was an off game from the linebackers. I think that's really where the the difference was. I was impressed with C.J. Mosley and Quan Alexander and Quincy Williams. Uh, in the first game of the year, I thought they handled the run game extremely well, where this week it, it looked like the linebackers struggled a little bit. And, you know, to, to be fair, Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt is the, probably the best one-two punch uh, in the NFL. Nick Chubb's phenomenal, and Cream Hunt is, I think they said on the broadcast, he'd be a starter on like 20 of the teams in the league. He's a really good back. But uh, it was definitely a step back for this linebacker core, which I think really made the difference in the run game today. Um you know, outside of that, uh, Jordan Whitehead played today but was banged up. And I think that probably had to be a, a factor as well. Um, but it, it was definitely a noticeable difference from what we saw in week one to 
what it was today against Cleveland because they uh, they really struggled. Yeah, and that was the one area I thought didn't either stay the same or improve from last week, and you know, hence why I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But um, let's move into the secondary. And uh, last week, Lamarcus Joyner had a—I'll uh, put it lightly—he had a tough week. Um, and uh, today, I thought he played a much better game. But I mean, that's only under the assumption that you could only go up from where he was last week. Um, what, what were you, what were your thoughts on how how the secondary handled themselves this afternoon? Yeah, I thought the secondary was um, okay. Um, I definitely liked what I saw from uh, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed more in Week One than this past week. I thought they really struggled uh, against Amari Cooper in particular. He was dominating uh, pretty much anyone who was in front of him, um, and he he got yardage against and, and catches a against just about everyone. Uh, you mentioned LaMarcus Joyner. He, it's it's a little frustrating to see him out there and how much they're relying on him. This is a guy who really hasn't played a lot in the last couple of years due to injury. And, you know, they brought him back with the expectation that he was going to play and play a lot. And through two games, it really hasn't worked. Week one was atrocious. This week, as you said, was a little bit better. But still, there was uh, – I thought his effort on the – either the second or third, I can't remember which one, the second or third Nick Chubb touchdown that he ran in. He, he tried to arm tackle him up high and just completely whiffed on it. And uh, That it, doesn't it, usually work on Nick player. Chubb. Yeah, uh, and I think that could uh, you know make a difference going forward in, in these games, the, the, the effort from the free safety spot. Definitely. And uh, let's talk about Ashton Davis for a second because this is a guy who – uh, I think he was a little bit of a surprise pick when he was chosen uh, a couple of years back by Joe Douglas, and um, I, he was kind of on the bubble, at least in the media and then with the fans. He was kind of on the bubble, and if you heard Coach Sala today, he said that you know he never really was on the bubble, but tremendous interception, very late. Uh, that was a huge play by him, and and I thought was a fairly good game for him, and. Again, is this, as we talked about with Brees Hall, is this something that he could build on moving forward because he's going to be in that spot? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Uh, He tends to have a a knack for these interceptions, which is obviously a good sign. My issue with him is in the run game, I think, is where he really struggles. His pursuit to the ball uh, or to the ball carrier is uh, something that that scares me. Uh, Obviously, as a former track athlete, he's, uh, he has tremendous speed. He's a great runner, but I, I think the the football senses aren't quite there yet because he doesn't have that, you know, all the years of experience. Again, phenomenal athlete, but um, I, I, I worry about his impact in the run game. And, and who knows? Maybe more reps fixes that. And love the interception today. That that was great and sealed the game. And he's you know had a knack for coming up with these interceptions. I think it's just a consistency thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess that comes with, uh, you know comes along with any young player. But you know, again, this is a guy who you know plays a pretty important position. So we're going to want you to want to see that consistency, and you're going to want to see it a little bit, obviously, grow as time goes on. Um, let's let's discuss the coaching staff uh, today. Um, I, I, I'm a big I'm a big Robert Sala fan. I really am, and I was excited when they brought him here. I thought that even though this team was terrible last season. I really felt like, you know, I mean, he didn't have the, you know, the 
the personnel in order to to make them pretty much any better than they possibly have could be. But seeing the way the players respond to him, seeing the you know the the type of energy that he brings out there, I think that this this game was probably his best. You know that on that that onside kick call late. I mean. It, look, I mean, he, there's no other way to go about it, whatnot. But I, I really like the way Robert Sala, you know, kind of handled this week in the media, handled himself this week, you know, on the sidelines, and they come away with this huge win. And I, I feel like this is a, a a big moment for him, like almost like you know, we can actually expect better things now instead of it saying instead of Jet fans just walking around saying, well, it's the same old Jets, it's the same old Jets. What do you think about that? Yeah, 100%. I agree. This is probably his, one of his better games, if not his best game. Uh, obviously had a, uh, an interesting week with some of his quotes. I was a little critical early on, uh, with, uh, the taking the receipts comments, uh, didn't love that, but he, you know, he put his money where his mouth is. He went out and, and won a game that a lot of people were expecting this team to, to lose. And, you know, the offense played well. He, he has faith in his guys and, what I really like about Robert Sala is he, he's very much so a player's coach. It's obvious that players love the guy and respect him. And for me, it's always about how is the game manager aspect of it going to be. And I thought he took a step forward today. Loved the idea on the fake punt on the second uh, possession of the game as well, which led to a touchdown. And, um, you know, I, I think he's growing. And I hope we see more games like this going forward because, uh, it, it's important to see, because there's a young team, but it's also a young coaching staff, so it's important to see the coaching staff grow with this team. No question. And and Braden Mann, a guy who was almost on the bubble last week, throws a, throws a huge pass, has a good day with the uh, kicking the ball uh, inside the 20 a couple times. Uh, I think he averaged almost 50 yards a punt, so, I mean, he redeemed himself. You know, special teams, uh, you know, is going to be a big thing, uh, you know, with this team as well. But the one... Um, the one thing I think I'm a little surprised about is I know C.J. Ozama was out this week. Um, Ty Conklin in in training camp kind of emerged as the number one target tight end on this team. You know, they drafted Jeremy Ruckert, who, you know, hasn't really played yet. Um, again, like I said, Ozama was out. But Conklin has been – we had a fumble last week, and I believe uh, he had a fumble today too, did he not? Yeah, on the final drive he did fumble. And they, they recovered, thankfully. Mm-hmm. So I mean, is that is 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 this like just growing pains? Kind of just, you know, is he? What are you seeing from Ty Conklin that you know that that may be causing this? Because I I thought that this was going to be a, a strength for the Jets, and right now it's kind of been like a non-factor for them so far. Yeah, definitely strange when you consider you know what everything that you heard throughout training camp and what you saw in the preseason. It felt like this was the guy that. Uh, whoever was in at quarterback was on third down was going to feature. Like, this is an important guy to our team, shorthanded, usually. But, yeah, had a drop today, fumble. Um, it was definitely not his best game. Uh, he struggled a little bit in, in week one. Had, had the touchdown in garbage time. But I, I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't underwhelmed through two games. I think he bounces back. I think he's too talented not to. Uh, but, yeah, ugly showing through the first two weeks. But I think he gets back on track. Okay, so now we saw again. We saw the, the you know the, the game last week against Baltimore. You know, weren't wasn't able to do much on offense. You see today's game. Which, uh, if in your opinion, which of these two teams is the actual New York Jets? 
Great question. Uh, I'm going to take the cop-out answer and say somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't think they, I don't think offensively, I don't think they're nearly as bad as, uh, as what they were this, uh, in week one. And then this week, obviously, they bounced back. But I, I think this is a team, like, I don't think it's unrealistic to say, like, they should be somewhere around the middle of the pack offensively, especially when Zach Wilson comes back because, you know, the offense was really tailored and built for him, not for a, you know, almost 40-year-old Joe Flacco. But, you know, give Flacco credit. He did a great job today. Um, but I think there's a team who should be competitive week in and week out. They might not finish the year with a winning record, but I think they at least have to show – you know, signs that they're competing. They can't be getting blown out every week. Uh, I want them in these games. And, uh, you know, I think going forward they continue to do that. So up until the last two minutes, uh, I'll, I'll even I'll make it even more specific. Uh, up until a minute 55, right after Chubb scored that, that touchdown to put, to put them up by 13, um, <laughs> where was, you, where was you, your reaction going for your podcast tomorrow? Yeah, uh, not not great. Um, was <laughs> was frustrated because, like again, this was a, a game they were in pretty much the entire time. Then the storyline was going to be, you know, the defense fell apart. The offense did a lot, but you know, in week one it was the offense that cost them, and now in week two it's the defense that cost them. But you know, you mentioned Nick Chubb. He, he doesn't go down. He gets in the end zone, gives the Jets some life. Uh, the Jets, for some reason, uh, I mean, the Browns, for some reason, don't cover Corey Davis. Uh, they get a touchdown and then recover an onside kick, and the rest is history. So a lot changed in the final minute 55, but, you know, I, I was getting ready to, to rip this Jets defense for not being able to get a big stop in the second half. I mean, and, and what, what, well, I, I, I'm, and this is something that I, I just, I still can't, I, can't, I still kind of can't get over is what Cleveland was thinking. Not down, not downing that ball. Like, you know, you're already up. You're there's you're up by a touchdown. There's a minute fifty five left in the game. Why would they give them the ball back? I mean, did they disrespect them that much? You know, did they have so little faith that they had no? I mean, is that possible? You know, is it the possibility that they let Corey Davis go because they never thought Flacco was going to hit him on that pass? I mean, uh, what's going through Cleveland's mind at that moment? And it ultimately cost them the game. Yeah, it, it did. That's a situation where, and we see it all the time, usually you see it all the time, the defenses go into prevent mode where they don't let anything over the top, but they'll allow the stuff underneath. And teams will dink and dunk their way down the field, but it'll eat up a lot of time, and that's pretty much the game. For whatever reason, they weren't they weren't doing that. They, they should have, and I think that's a massive mistake from the Cleveland Browns defensive coordinator, but uh, the, the Jets lucked out because that was, an egregious mistake by Cleveland to uh, put themselves in a situation to let up a big play like that. I mean, I mean, like I said before, Davis, there was nobody within ten yards of him easily, and I might be even, and that might be saying it lightly. They could have, it could have been fifteen or twenty yards. The guy was completely by himself. He didn't even have to run after he caught the ball. He basically trotted into the end to the end zone. So, uh, terrible, terrible call by Cleveland there. Yeah, without a doubt, and you know for. Maybe just a little jaded with his his drop history from last year on the drop in week one. I was when the ball was in the air, I was just thinking, please catch the ball. <laughs> but you know, once he did, he basically walked into the end zone, and uh, it, it was shocking that he was that open. 
yeah, it really. I I was I was stunned to be honest with you. Uh, let's look ahead next week. Uh, Jets have, are at home against the Bengals, um, the Owen two Bengals, which I don't think anybody would have said you know you would have believed right off the bat. But um, what do you expect to see? Uh, I, I would expect to see a pretty hungry Cincinnati team and with uh, with Joe Burrow. No. Yeah, hundred percent. There's going to be a motivated team. Uh, they them starting zero two after reaching the Super Bowl last year is uh, is pretty shocking. Um, you know, I think the offensive line struggled today against Dallas, and uh, like you said, they're going to be motivated. The Jets' secondary is going to have a very, very tough task, but we'll see. That's, I guess that's why you draft Sauce Gardner fourth overall, and that's why you paid D.J. Reed to come in here is to contain, you know, the, the weapons that a team like Cincinnati will have. And, you know, I just all you can ask is that it's a competitive game, that they're in it to the end, and if they pull out an upset again, that it's just, that's just gravy at that point. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, next week, uh, this week you had to deal with Amari Cooper. Next week is Jamar Chase. So this is going to be, it's going to be an interesting game next week for sure. Um, last thing, I know you're a big eye on the fan. We have, uh, training camp upon us this week. Um, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you expecting out of the Islanders this year? Yeah, um, definitely excited to see what, uh, Lane, Lane Lambert looks like behind the bench. It's going to be a little bit uh, different without Barry Trotz there. Uh, a little concerned about the offense still, but uh, who knows? Maybe Oliver Wallstrom finally develops into that guy that we all think he could be, and uh, you know Matt Barzell could have a big year if they do. Then I think they could be a, a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, I hope so. Um, do you think that Lambert is going to maybe take the chains off a little bit on these guys and let them be a little bit more offensive, whereas Barry was much more structured with him? I hope so. Um, you know, and the reason being is because if, if he doesn't, then I almost think, all right, what's the point of moving on from Barry Trotz, who has, you know, all, all the experience and a ton of success with, with this team and a bunch of other franchises. But, you know, if the idea is that with Lane, that he's going to let him play offense a little bit more and let some of these young guys, you know, be themselves and be the, their offensive-minded players, then uh, I, I would guess that's, that's why they moved on from Barry and, uh, I hope it works because, you know, they, they have some talent. I, I like Barzal a lot, who's obviously an offensive-minded guy. I think there's a lot of potential with Oliver Wallstrom. And uh, you have guys like Noah Dobson who really came into his own last year, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could see even a little more offense out of him. Yeah, I mean, 50 points is pretty good. If they could get it to 60 with him, I think that would be fantastic. We haven't seen somebody like that on the Islander Blue Line in quite some time. So, uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on with us tonight. Why don't you tell us where they can find you on Twitter, tell them about your podcast, and uh, where they can listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. You can, uh, new episodes of the Just Jets podcast, they come out midweek now every Wednesday. Uh, we'll be recapping uh, week two and then previewing the upcoming game against Cincinnati. You can follow along. Uh, on Twitter and all social media at Matt O'Leary NY, covering the New York Jets, talking New York sports, and uh, trying to keep it light and have a good time over there. Yeah, and you do a great job with it, Matt. I've uh, been a fan for a while. I'm glad that we got to have this chat, and uh, I'd love to have you on down the road. Sounds good. We'd love to be back on. Thanks again for having me. No, no problem then. Everybody, that's Matt O'Leary. Uh, take out, take, uh, make sure you go out onto Twitter and you, you listen to the Just Jets podcast. As he said, it'll be released on Wednesday. Uh, it does a great job out there. And, uh, we're gonna, uh, take a break. We are going to come back at 9.30 and talk Mets baseball with Joe Pantorno from AM New York. This is WGBB Sports Talk New York.
listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the second part of our show tonight. We're going to be talking about the New York Mets. we got Mr. Brian Graves behind the glass tonight. And now we are going to talk with W uh, with uh, AM New York's Mets beat writer, Islander beat writer also, uh, Mr. Joe Pantorno. Joe, how are you, sir? Hey, Tony, I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to uh, finally get on the show with you. Oh man, I've been ha- we've been talking about this for a while, bro, and I'm I'm glad that we were able to uh, to get you on. Uh, we got so much to talk about, um, and I'm sure that we'll be doing uh, an Islander stint at some point down the road as well. But tonight is New York Mets talk. Uh, you uh, you covered the game today. Let's talk about the New York Mets, who are now what magic number two to clinch their playoff spot. And they are just, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing right now, huh? Yeah, and uh, it's sort of a foreign concept, I think, to a large portion of the fan base, which is why I think everybody should be enjoying it, um, because I think you'd like to think that this will be the norm for for years to come. Um, I think that's what everybody was expecting when Steve Cohen came in. Uh, but yeah, this is the most successful mess team that we've seen since 2006, at least. Um, and... Any sort of win uh, starting this week in Milwaukee means that they have a playoff spot clinched. Um, but this is a testament to where this team's mindset is with Buck Showalter at the helm. They said that they wouldn't necessarily be celebrating just getting into the playoffs. Everybody has their eyes on the division. Uh, and we know that's going to be a tight race down the stretch. It has been an extremely tight race since June 1st, pretty much, uh, when they were... I don't even remember how many games they were up at that point, 10, 10 and a half, whatever. And then when Atlanta started going on this unbelievable run that they were on, um, and they kind of took a little bit of a detour there where they went through San Francisco. But um, they've beat up on the Phillies the last couple of days. They're still a game out. But even with this ridiculous run that the Braves have been on, the Mets have only relinquished first place for one day. And I think that that's something special in and itself. Because this team, if they were really feeling the heat from Atlanta, they would have, you know, I think that they would have, you know, started playing worse against better teams. And I feel like this team especially kind of plays to the level of the team that they're playing against at some points. And I think that if there's a problem with this team, that would be it. Because against teams with winning records, their record is phenomenal. It's the teams that are not very good that they seem to have some issues with. Uh, you know, is is there something to that? Uh, I mean, there is. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's sort of the ebbs and flows that come with a 162-game season, and Buck Walter has sort of been preaching this, that there's really no such thing as an easy game on an MLB schedule because every team in the majors, obviously, they're, they're there for a reason, and these players that are up, for the most part, within reason, um, are there for a reason. And we kind of saw a glimpse of the Mets playing down to their opponents to start this month. You know, they take two or three from the Dodgers, and it seemed like, 
everybody within the organization and everybody kind of pulling for the organization could sort of exhale because down the stretch they had the easiest schedule on paper in baseball, whether it was playing the Nationals, the Marlins, the Pirates, the Cubs. Um, and then they went on a on an 11 game streak there where they were five and six. Um, you know they they got swept by the Cubs, um, and I think everybody was sort of ready to hit the panic button. And it's understandable that that's the case because that was a golden opportunity to put the Braves firmly in the rearview mirror, at least in terms of the divisional race. Um, but you know Buck Showalter kind of said it best uh, a couple of days ago. He said, you know, these players, his players. They see the finish line, and they sort of just wanted to get there. And, you know, I, I think this is a roster that certainly does have some players with playoff experience, especially some of the bigger names. You know, Francisco Lindor has been in the playoffs, and, you know, Max Scherzer's won a World Series, and Jacob mm-hmm. DeGrom sort of experienced everything in 2015. Um, you know, a lot of key cogs in this machine have playoff experience, but there's also a good number of guys who – are huge contributors that never really have seen that stage, whether it's a Jeff McNeil or, or Pete Alonzo, something along those lines. So, um, you know, this is sort of lessons being learned on the fly. And if you, if you are an optimist, I think a lot of people are thinking that this sort of stretch here um, against the Cubs, at least, um, that that was probably the lowest portion of their season. But you saw what they did. They rebounded and they swept a four-game series for the first time this season um, against the Pirates. So you'd like to think that they're stabilizing here. Um, so I, I think really the, the notion of gloom and doom that comes from a large faction of social media, which you really can't take as the consensus, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not necessarily reality. And, and I think we need to, you know, realize that this is a good team. And, you know, when push comes to shove and it does come down to the nitty-gritty, I think, you know, they will take care of the team that they need to take care of. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And uh, I think that I, I feel like over the course of the last couple of years, the Mets have done a a kind of a revamping of that clubhouse. And I think that they weren't thrilled with it after last year. And, they they spent uh, a significant amount of money in order to kind of change that over heading into this season, and I think Max Scherzer obviously was a huge part of that, um, and we've seen why. Uh, I, I mean, you can watch Max Scherzer pitch um, as an opponent every you know every couple of series or whatnot when you're playing against Washington or whatever the case may be when he went to the Dodgers last year, but to see him day in and day out and see what he brings to the bench, what he's what he brings to you know, to even to press conferences and so on and so forth, there's a reason why he's making the money he's making. Not only is he a phenomenal pitcher, but he is like a, a he's a, a a bench coach, a pitching coach, uh, a mentor. He's he's he does everything. And to see this team and this clubhouse, they're, they're, they're close-knit. And I think that has an effect on how you can get swept by the Cubs. And in years past, I feel like the Mets would have gone, you know, lost six out of eight after a series like that. And then to see them bounce back and play the way that they played against Pittsburgh. Um, you're there. You talk to these guys. Tell me what you think, if that's part of it. It certainly is. Um, and it's no coincidence that seems things sort of stabilized when Scherzer, you know, got back from uh, his minor league rehab out in Syracuse. You know, he was back in the clubhouse. He was back on the bench. 
Um, and it's also no coincidence that you're seeing guys like Chris Bassett, who's, you know, eating up innings, and it's not necessarily the prettiest thing, but he's finding a way to navigate through danger. Um, Love Chris no Bassett, by the way. Carlos Carrasco has 15 wins this season, which is no minor feat um, in the majors. Um, I think it was no coincidence that, uh, you know, you had David Peterson for the most part, minus his start against the Cubs, uh, fill in so effectively as a, as a spot starter. Um, you know, Max Scherzer's kind of had his blueprints all over this team, and you know this is not only a winning presence but a Hall of Fame presence. So I think any mm. pitcher within the organization um, obviously wants to hear his two cents, and they're going to take whatever he does say to heart. Um, I also think that Jeremy Hefton, the pitch coach, has done a fantastic job with the rotation as well. We've seen it over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for as much as Max Scherzer has done, I think Buck Showalter has the perfect formula of doing what's necessary to sort of take the focus and take the heat off of his clubhouse. Um, and he does it with this sort of southern charm that, Makes you not even realize it's happening. Where you know you can walk into uh, walk into his press conference every day, and and you're talking about something different. Whether it's you know his commute, uh, whether it's uh, you know the pitch clock, or how he feels about the three batter rule. Um, it's like the Jedi mind stuff. trick of Buck. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. But he knows how to navigate this market, which has not been the case for the last however many managers you'd like to count, but certainly Mickey Calloway and Louis Rojas. Um, so I think that common presence, and, and, you know, obviously we can talk and know him about what, you know, the big signings over the summer did, whether it was Scherzer, whether it was Canna, whether it was Escobar, whether it was Marte, who all have been invaluable to this team and have helped them take that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, but Buck Showalter is, is just as, if not more important than all of that, because after all, he is the one, you know, not only pulling the strings, but he is the one to sort of keep the clubhouse as tight and glued together as it has been. No, there's no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I was ecstatic about the Buck Showalter hire, and I have so many friends that had given up on this team so, so for so many years, <laughs> knowing that they just weren't going to go anywhere. And when I heard about Buck, when you know, he was a finalist, and I, I texted a buddy of mine, I'm like, I'm like, bro, they're gonna hire Showalter, and he's like, God, he's like, man, he's now I'm gonna have to become a fan again, like, really? <laughs> but it really comes down to they needed that, you know. You, you, uh, the, the calamity of managers after Terry Collins, and you know, it just it nothing was working, you know. And we look, we, we can we can go on for days about this topic. Believe me, I have plenty to say about it. But you know, the fact that Steve Cohen has come in here, and he, you know, they identified the fact that they needed a manager that can manage navigate not only New York, but a team that that basically was going to have to come together with that type of, you know, um, clubhouse that they were looking for, and they, and he's been absolutely perfect. And I agree with you, Jeremy Hefner has been a big part of it with the pitching staff, but every night is a different guy. I mean, recently, Eduardo Escobar, you had Canna earlier, uh, you know, uh, late in the summer that went on some, a, a ridiculous run of, of huge hits. You know, you've had Lindor do it, you've had Alonzo do it. Starling Marte has been, you know, a, a, a tremendous addition to this team jeff mcneil and and you know like you see each and every day someone else is putting it in i i I attribute so much of that to buck it's just like that okay next guy who needs to step up let's do it and 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 they've done it beautifully yeah they 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 really have and it's you know billy epper really did 
you know, a, a, a very nice job. You know, say what you want about the trade deadline, obviously, but in the offseason, you know, he identified the needs of this team and he went out and he got what was necessary. Um, and I think, and again, you can say what you want about the trade deadline and, and the Mets still had some pretty glaring holes that weren't necessarily filled, but um, again, I, I think it was just a case of, you know, do they want to make a big splash to potentially, I don't want to say mess with the chemistry within the locker room, but, poten- but to potentially throw things off. Um, and, 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 you know, that's, again, that's probably another debate for another day. Um, you know, I think, again, when you look at it at the end of the day, I think the trade deadline was an underwhelming one and one that would probably be chalked up to as a loss. Um, it certainly helps that Daniel Vogelback is coming around, but, you know, the fact that you have a poor players for Darren Ruff um, and you don't get um, anything really a, a legitimate reliever. Um, you know, Michael Givens has struggled. He, he has kind of come around as of late, but, uh, you know, a left-handed reliever was certainly needed. Now you're going into the postseason hoping that, you know, Joely Rodriguez, who has been good as of late, um, could be that guy, or, you know, you're relying on Seth Lugo to potentially be a reverse split kind of guy to get out lefties. Um, you know, those are, those are big ifs. Um, but that being said, you know, I think this is a team that we've been looking at the roster for a few years now and say, you know, okay, well, they have the talent. Um, and they do. You know, Jeff McNeil is an all-star in, in 2019, and, and Pete Alonso is already, in my opinion, the greatest slugger in franchise history. Um, you know, what, what's, that, what's that about the pitching staff is, you know, has been said for years, even though the names have cycled out. And, you know, that sort of second coming of Generation K never really came about. But the fact that now all of a sudden everybody's sort of hitting benchmarks and finding their, you know, their ceilings and getting to their potential, again, it, it says a lot about what this current leadership regime is doing to unlock that. Um, and, and the fact of the matter, the matter is that, you know, not only is there a team that has a manager who's, you know, a player's manager, um, but it's a manager that knows the game inside and out. Um, and he knows how to, you know, take a team through almost any situation that you can throw at them. Um, so Agreed. It, it's sort of this perfect blend right now. And there's a reason why, and, and, you know, this franchise really hasn't offered many opportunities for us to say this. Um, we're looking at an all-time team here. Um, at mm-hmm. least throughout the regular season. So, again, it, it all really comes down to whether this team will be regarded like a 1988 team that won 100 games and had so much potential and ultimately underachieved in the playoffs to the Dodgers, um, or, you know, there's a little bit of magic in store where, you know what, they are going to be, you can say the David compared to the Goliath, I think once you get to the later rounds of the postseason, if you do potentially run into the Dodgers um, or something like that. So, um, yeah, again, you know, a lot of ifs here, um, but – it's pretty clear and a uh, refreshing change of pace to say that this franchise is only going upwards. Yes, yes. But it's it's funny you brought the trade deadline up because that actually was going to be my next question, which was, you know, it was a little bit underwhelming. The Daniel Vogelback thing I thought was a good um, was a good start. Um, the Darren Ruff trade, I, I kind of was a little confused about that. Um, the two, the two positions i really would have liked to see them do something with i really would have liked to see them bring in another catcher and i really would have liked to see them bring in a reliever and 
Um, and not only that, but you have a reliever that was actually pitching fairly well and was kind of coming along in Colin Holderman, and he gets dealt for Vogelback. So, you know, I mean, I was a little perplexed by that. Okay, I'll, I'll say that. I understood the idea of wanting to hold on uh, to your prospects. They have some really good ones now. Um, they have some really, really good ones. Um, and especially getting two in the first round and Kevin Parada being as far along as he is hitting-wise, um, I would have thought that maybe, you know, dealing a Ronnie Maurizio might have been, you know, prudent, you know, to, to bring in those pieces because this is such, you know, this is such a, a special team as we just spent the last 15 minutes discussing, you know, giving them that, you know, that maybe that extra arm, you know, like Rossiel Iglesias went to the Braves. He's been lights out since he's been there. Um, you know, Christian Vasquez went from Boston to Houston for nothing. So, you know, I only think that the, 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 the prospect they got was even in their top 20. So those are the kind of moves that I guess I was anticipating because of this team being where they were. I get the whole chemistry thing. Obviously, you got a you know, close-knit clubhouse. You want to kind of keep everything the way that it is. But these are positions that really needed, you know, I mean, if they would have gotten a guy like Iglesias and they would have gotten a Christian Vasquez, I, I mean, this is you're looking at a team that is is practically, especially that you're going to go into a playoff series with Bassett and Scherzer and Degrom and Carrasco and Walker. I mean, that that's a, a who wants to face that team? Right, right, and and you absolutely bring up a a, a great point where you know there's there's this team that's on the precipice of doing something special, and the needs are so glaring and so obvious that. It should be to a point where, you know, you, you just have to do what you have to do to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I will play devil's advocate just for a moment, though, and kind of bring up what we're, what we saw last year when the Mets had to give up Pico Armstrong to get Javier Baez, uh, where you're giving up a top prospect for nothing more than a rental. Um, and, and again, it's, it's well, you know, can the Mets do enough? And, you know, if they do something like that, again, whether they give up a Mauricio or a, um, you know, Ramirez or a Viento, something along those lines, you know, would it be worth it? And, you know, I think the introductory press conferences of Steve Cohen and even Billy Epler to a certain portion were sort of telling um, just how uh, much that they would sort of harbor these prospects where they said that they really want to be, you know, the Braves, uh, not the Braves, excuse me, the Dodgers of the East, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where, you know, replacements and upgrades are coming from within the organization, so you don't necessarily have to go out and bring up, you know, or, or trade away your top prospects, because um, that doesn't necessarily guarantee sustainability, where, you know, again, Steve Cohen wants to be a team where the Mets are winning eight division titles in 10 years. You know, he wants to be in the postseason for 12 straight years, something along those lines. So, um, you know, in my opinion, and again, it's just my opinion, if you're a team that's looking to make a deal at the deadline, a big splash to get that final piece that you need, you're in win-now mode. Um, And certainly the Mets are in win-now mode, 100%. But the Mets are also in win-then mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to 
uh, for them to build up on what was a very thin farm system. And now all of a sudden, after a pretty darn good draft, um, you're looking at a system that's gone from the bottom ranks of baseball to now they're suddenly in the middle of those ranks. You suddenly have the, the number one prospect of all of, uh, in all of baseball in Francesco Alvarez. You have five prospects in the top 100. So it's slowly coming along, and while it might be a little top-heavy at the moment, um, you know, the bringing on of, uh, you know, Kevin Parada, that kind of helps lengthen things a little bit. And, and again, I'm not well-versed and an expert in, you know, the Mets' farm system like others are, um, but I think it's pretty important that you kind of lay down that foundation. Um, so all of a sudden, again, you know, when you, you flash money for James McCann and he's not meeting that contract, then you all of a sudden find yourself, you know, relying on him and Tomas Nito, who have been fantastic in September. Right. Um, then again, is that sustainable? But then all of a sudden you know, okay, instead of, you know, the, the top thing on our list going into this offseason is finding a solution to catcher and spending more, it's, okay, well, we have the number one prospect, prospect in baseball right now. Um, who's the catcher? He's going to be the replacement. Um, you know, Looking at third base as well, you know, how long is Eduardo Escobar going to be a legitimate option there? You know, he signed for, you know, only a couple of years. Um, all of a sudden we find ourselves with two options with Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty as potential third base options of the future. So right. those are just kind of two examples. Um, and maybe that's what provided the moment of pause for Billy Epler. I guess, you know, would he want to part with that? And I understand, you know, Ronnie Mauricio of all people, he's a shortstop and Francisco Lindor is the shortstop of the future for, um, you know, the next 10 years. Um, but in that same breath, maybe if you are going to deal Ronnie Mauricio, you are going to put him in a deal for something a little bit more. You know, I mean, the Mets uh, traded a comparable prospect in Andres Jimenez alongside Ahmed Rosario and plus for Francisco Lindor in itself. So, um, you know, I think it's finding the right value. Um, it's knowing what you have and holding on to it for its worth rather than potentially overpaying. Um, and um, then it's, you know, just kind of assessing it and, and almost kind of playing the long game. No, which, again, I, is not easy. Oh, I, I listen, I agree with just about everything that you said. And, you know, I, I going back to the Javi Baez trade, I thought at the time, yes, it was great because you brought Baez here and, you you know, you, you have the idea that you're going to pair him with Lindor and you're going to keep him and so on and so forth. And then that whole thing kind of got soured as it went on. But I feel like Zach Scott made that trade because he felt he had to, not because he needed to make it, not because they were on, you know, the verge of of something like they are this year. Like I feel like that kind of a trade this year would have been something completely different. I didn't think they needed something that big. I just felt that they needed to do something. <laughs> just sure. not something significant, but just plug the holes, bring the depth in that you need. Because now, as you see, you get towards the end of the year, you got guys that are banged up. You got this one who's not coming back yet. They're still waiting on Tyler McGill to bring him back in. You know, maybe he's you know he's been out a lot this year, so you don't know really what you're going to get with him. So that was kind of just my thought on the whole thing. It's not that I felt that they needed to make some big move, but last year's move, you know, and I was surprised that they had a 
they give up Pete Crow Armstrong in that trade, you know, to bring the rental of Javi Baez back. Typically, those that return is 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 less because it's it isn't you know considered a rental, whether or not you have the money or not to sign him. But uh, I just I, I just I would have liked to see them bring in a little bit more depth. And you saw the teams around them do it, and that's kind of the thing that that. It alarmed me about it because Atlanta was playing so well, and then they bring a guy like Iglesias in. You know, like that, that's a big deal. You know, that's a big arm to bring in your bullpen. I, Adam Adovino has been fantastic for this team this year. I love what he's brought. I love the consistency he's brought. I mean, you know, every relief pitcher has you know issues here and there, but you know he he really has been as solid as as you could ask him to be. So to add another guy like that would, in my opinion, would have been you know a, a solid move. And would have kind of kept up, you know, with the Joneses, and you know what everybody else is doing. So, but that's, you know, I I think Epler's done a great job this year. I really do. I I feel, you know, I would have liked another lefty reliever. I think they were expecting a little bit more consistent uh, consistency out of Joely Rodriguez, but they didn't really get it. Uh, but as you said, he has been much better as of late. Um, so I just just to last question, just to wrap it up with you here, Joe. And I, again, I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, we're looking at these last couple of weeks heading into the playoffs. Buck right now, I think, is got to be just focused on keeping his chemistry where it is and getting some guys a little bit of rest and keeping them healthy. Um, what do you expect to see these last two weeks heading into uh, into the final weekend in Atlanta? Yeah, this is um, this is sort of the, the nitty gritty here, and, and you'd have to really say that the schedules between the Mets and the Braves are comparable, um, where it's, it's not necessarily one team has all that more difficult of a schedule than the other. Um, I mean, the Mets got the Brewers and the A's, the Marlins, before they play the Braves, um, and then the Braves have the Nationals and the Phillies, and, and I think the Nationals again, um, before they play the Mets. So, um, you know, these are all, you know, winnable games and winnable series for both teams, so it's really whoever blinks first. Um, what I will say is one key thing to look out for, um, besides the obvious offensive consistency that has seemed to be just out of grasp um, for the Mets uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's what really is going to be the plan for the bullpen, because right now the situation is pretty fluid. Um, you know, outside of Edwin Diaz, um, you know, you, you recently introduced Trevor May back into the equation um, where, you know, him and Adam Adovino and Seth Lugo were all going to sort of compete for those late inning or bridge roles to get to Diaz. Um, again, Joely Rodriguez, I think in his last seven innings, hasn't given up a hit. Um, and he's, uh, he struck out seven, I think, as well. Um, five of them today. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you have, you know, you're, you're introducing David Peterson into that equation. You're going to be introducing Tyler McGill. Um, what appears to be, as we're speaking now, uh, tomorrow or Monday, he's likely going to be activated. And then on Tuesday, the team's getting Drew Smith back as well. That's a good sign. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and there's only about two weeks to really kind of have this sweeping audition period for a number of arms. We're not just talking about one or two. We're looking at four or five potential arms. And in the meantime, Buck also is going to try and figure out what his best combination is moving toward the postseason. And he admitted it himself. He said, we're not going to have this figured out by the time the regular season ends. So um, there is a good possibility that they're going to be flying blind at times mm-hmm. um, when the games really do matter. So um, I think that's really the overarching thing that I would be keeping an eye out on that's, you know, maybe a little 
beneath, you know, the big storylines, whether that's the, you know, return of Scherzer or can Jacob DeGrom, you know, maintain a high level when he begins to tie or nears that 100 pitch mark. We saw it today. That wasn't necessarily the case. Um, so there's, there's obviously a number of things that need to be, you know, maybe straightened out or at least ironed out. But, uh, you know, I think we, we come across this, uh, you know, this cliche, I think, every year where it's defense and, and the bullpen ultimately are huge things that win your championships. So, That's correct. Um, you know, we know the Mets can play good defense. Let's see now if they have the pieces for the bullpen to really kind of help supplement a deep run. Well, I hope that that's the case, Joe. And uh, once again, I, I really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Uh, I look forward to our Islander chat that will be forthcoming in, in the months to be uh, to uh, to come. And, you know, just good luck down the road on this team and uh, enjoy the playoffs, man. This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Of course. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you having me on. It was a blast. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to Miles Hockey with you down the road for sure. Can't wait, brother. Thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. Of course. That is going to be it for us tonight. Thank you so much to my guest, Matt O'Leary from the Just Jet podcast, and Joe Pantorno, the Mets and Isles beat writer for AM New York. My name is Tony Stabile for Brian Graves. We are going to wrap it up. We'll be back here next month. Have a great week. Good night. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.